Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. My family and I, we were just uh, had a week after Easter um, up in sunny Queensland. That was lovely. And then last week I was ministering at a church in Adelaide, and that was great, but there is no place like home. And I want to invite you to go with me to James chapter 4, and I'm going to read through from verses 1 to 8. In the month of May, we're uh, just no particular series focus in mind, but we're just bringing whatever we feel in God to bring each week. Uh, And today, the Holy Spirit really put upon my heart, James chapter 4. As you're turning there, just to let everyone know, in a couple of weeks, next week is Mother's Day, and we're going to celebrate all the mums in the house. The week after that, we have the national president of our movement, Australian Christian Churches, uh, coming along with his wife, Pastor Wayne and Lynn Alcorn, to minister here at City. It'd be great uh, for you to uh, be here and, and be a part of just... Uh, getting to know more of some of the leadership of the movement that uh, we are a part of. And uh, that's going to be a really great time. And, uh, and then we'll be heading into uh, some other weeks of focus of teaching and preaching. And, and uh, I believe God is really going to minister through his word powerfully today. James chapter 4 verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. It's metaphorical for the uh, issues that were going on in the churches that James was addressing. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's a fairly powerful passage of Scripture for a 9 a.m. service on Sunday morning. I want to speak to you on the subject, the key to victory over sin, Satan, and the world. If ever there was a time where we need to know what that key is, this is the time. And uh, several years ago, my family and I were driving our car out of Eastland Shopping Centre car park, and uh, we were trying to navigate our way around the car park, when another driver drove his car into our lane, and as we were turning 
parked right in front of us and blocked us from getting out. And the way that he parked meant that he couldn't move, we couldn't move. And then he proceeded to wind down the window and get angry at me as if it was my fault. And so it, it started to accelerate quite quickly. And I wound down the window and let him know what I thought. And uh, then he started to use all manner of sign language, which I thought was really interesting considering I could hear everything that he was saying. And then I proceeded to let him know that he was a descendant from the bird kingdom, being a turkey. And as I'm there in the car and this thing is accelerating uh, at a quick rate of knots, I catch a glance at the bride sitting next to me who is pure and spotless and all things lovely and holy. And then I catch a glimpse of my three impressionable kids and I'm discipling and raising in the ways of God. And my wife and my kids are all looking at their dad as if what has gotten into you. And I'm like, I'm looking for moral support and all I'm getting is judgment. And, and so I realized this is not heading in the direction that it needs to be. And so I wound up the window and, and and, you know, took the humble position of reversing the car and letting him win the battle on that day. And so whether it be conflict between countries right now, which is a more serious matter, in relationships in the workplace or in Eastland shopping centre car parks, the reality is conflict is an inescapable reality in this temporary world. Of all of our education and our good intentions and our beauty pageant well wishes of world peace, the reality is we still haven't been able to resolve the issue of conflict. It only took one chapter after Adam and Eve rebelled against God for conflict to be introduced into the human story. And ever since Cain and Abel, we have been wrestling with the issue of conflict and if there is one place that should demonstrate and show a counterexample to the conflict of the world that we are currently surrounded by, it is the church of Jesus Christ. The issue of conflict is what James is addressing in his letter to Jewish believers who are suffering persecution and the immense pressure that is coming upon the church is actually causing them to turn on each other and have internal conflict. And what James does in this passage is he deals with all three dimensions of sin. He deals with the flesh, he deals with the spirit of the world, and he deals with our adversary, Satan himself. And he takes us in sequential order through the keys to victory over sin, Satan, and the world. And he begins by letting us know that the source of all conflict in life stems from the desires of our flesh. The Bible says in verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, meaning we actually kill each other with our words. And he says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. There is a direct correlation in this passage between the frustrated desires of our flesh and our behaviours towards others. We tend to justify conflict with others through the filter of our injured rights when actually the Bible is saying it's our 
desires. It's the desires of our flesh that is often uh, fueling the conflicts that you and I find ourselves in, whether that's in your marriage, whether that's with your kids, whether that's with work colleagues, whether that's in car parks, whether that's in the world. It is our fleshly desires that is often the, the driving force behind the conflict. Have you ever been in a fight with someone and what you're arguing about isn't actually the issue? Or is that just me? You're getting caught up in the symptoms of something when actually the real issue, the real uh, cause of the conflict is the unsanctified desires of our flesh that are not actually getting met according to our perceived expectations. And so getting to the root of the conflict requires self-examination of your desires, not just self-justification of your responses to the issue at hand. And so the key question in conflict that you and I need to stop and pause, take a deep breath and ask ourselves is what desire am I trying to protect or gain for myself? So some examples of this is, say when it comes to the issue of inflexibility. You're in a conflict and you just refuse to bend and so you're inflexible could actually be covering for a desire to get your own way. Maybe you're trying to attain to a particular position of authority or prominence, church, work, whatever it may be. It could actually be a masquerade for the desire for status, to appear a certain way to others, to appear favourable. Maybe if you're overly critical, it's masquerading a desire to look good to others to appear more favourable to others than that other person. If it's hurtful words, it could be actually a, simply a desire to get even with that person. Are you with me today? The, the source of all conflict in life, the Bible is saying, stems from the desires of our flesh. And the Bible says in Galatians 5.17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Holy Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you actually want to do. James continues and he says, Confused prayerlessness is the byproduct of living according to the desires of your flesh. Confused prayerlessness. An ineffective prayer life is evidence and is the byproduct that we're living according to the desires of our flesh. Verse two says, you do not have because you do not ask. What's that? That's prayerlessness. Verse three says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's confused prayerlessness. So there's another alternative to fighting over fleshy desires. The Bible says, firstly, pray. Because what prayer does it purifies and sanctifies our heart's desires. People who don't pray are letting everybody know that they are self-reliant. Let's just say it straight. If you never pray, if you never stop to pause and pray, 
you are convinced you've got life covered. That's exactly what it is. You can blame busyness. You can blame, you know, uh, your, 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 your mum and dad or your boss or the devil or the government. But I'm telling you, 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 if you don't pray, prayerlessness says, I am self-reliant, I am self-dependent, and my flesh will get the job done. People who do pray but never get an answer could be actually praying with wrong motives. We cannot expect God to answer our prayers if our motives are fueled by the desires of our flesh. And then maybe you might quote Psalm 37.4. Well, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. The Bible says, if I just Turkish delight myself in the Lord every day, I'll get all of my desires fulfilled. But it's not talking about the desires of your flesh. He's talking about over the, out of the overflow of intimacy with God, the Holy Spirit puts His desires in your heart. And those desires that are then uttered as a prayer, a spoken word back to Him in that place of intimacy and delight, as they bubble up out of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, God says, I'll give you that desire. Because that desire is in alignment with my will. That desire is in alignment with my purpose. Out of that place of intimacy, those desires will be realised. Some believers are confused in their prayer lives because God doesn't seem to be answering their prayers. And what they say is, well, prayer doesn't work, so I'm not praying anymore. This faith thing doesn't work, so I'm not believing anymore. This God thing doesn't work. And so maybe the issue isn't God, faith or prayer, but it could be wrong motives. Motives matter to God. God cares about what we are motivated by. In fact, if God answered every one of your prayers, it might not go as well for you as you think. Just ask Jim Carrey from Bruce Almighty, the movie years ago. Do yourself a favour and watch it. It's a very interesting interpretation from Hollywood on the whole issue of prayer and faith and God. And so Bruce Almighty is a TV news reporter who wants to be an anchor man and it all goes pear-shaped for him and he decides that God really isn't doing a great job with his life and the planet. And so he meets God and God tells him, hey, I'm gonna give you my power for a week. You see if you can do a better job. And so Bruce Almighty goes and he arranges the, 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 the planets and the natural created order of things to suit him and to win the, the affection of a girl that he likes. And, and finally, he gets to a crescendo where there are so many prayer requests coming from so many people. And because he's God, he's got to do something with all these prayer requests. So he just answers yes to every single prayer request and the whole world goes into chaos and he realises I am not fit to be God. And he simply prays God, let life return back to normal. And he embraces the simplicity of his life. If God answered all of your prayer requests based upon motives that sometimes you and I can't see, it might end up in chaos. In fact, what God often has to do to answer the genuine prayer requests is change us so that we can handle the answers 
to the prayers. So James is saying if we persist in living by the desires of our flesh, we actually are making ourselves enemies of God. It says in verse four, you adulterous people, that's fairly strong language, James, for a 9 a.m. Sunday morning service. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? What is God doing? He's addressing believers who profess Jesus as Lord, but live in their lifestyles according to the value system of the world. And he's saying, if you do that, you're actually friends with the world and you're enemies of God. To be a friend of the world is is not about, you know, uh, in the fact that you enjoy holidays or you you wear certain clothes or you drive a nice car or don't drive a nice car or enjoy your job or enjoy your life. He's not talking about that. He's talking about being friends with the world is to embrace patterns of life, paradigms, mindsets of living that are contrary to God's will and kingdom. Chapter three talks about it in the context of the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world is characterized by the works of the flesh, immorality, idolatry, jealousy, division, dissension, rivalries, anger, etc. And Galatians 5.21 says, it gives us a warning and says, those who do such things as a pattern of life, as a way of life, James says is not only friends with the world, but Paul says in Galatians, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. It's shut off from you. In chapter three, what James does is he contrasts earthly wisdom with heavenly wisdom. And he goes so far to label earthly wisdom as demonic, filled with every sort of disorder and vile practice. Then he contrasts it with heavenly wisdom and he says heavenly wisdom is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's fruitful. So if we harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in our hearts and yet profess Jesus as Lord, God likens it to adultery with the creator of the universe. That's pretty full on. Why does he label it that way? Because God jealously desires intimate friendship with you. He desires us to be friends with him without reservation. That means unreserved and unwavering allegiance. And so every single person has a choice to make in life between friendship with God or friendship with the spirit of the world. You can't be in the middle. You're either one or you're the other. It all comes back to the choices you make in your life about the truth that's been presented to you. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 7, 13, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who enter it are few. And so right now in this message and right now as you're looking at this text, it's starting to feel a little bit full on. Because just when it feels like that gate is so narrow, how will anyone ever get through it? God interrupts us with verse 6. The Bible says, but he gives more grace. You see, you need to understand something. God's grace is greater than sin. And God's grace is greater than Satan. And God's grace is greater than the wisdom of the world that we find ourselves surrounded by. Many of us are so beaten up by sin and Satan and the world, we've lost all hope. But I'm here to tell you today, the devil is a liar. You may be a slave to addiction, but God's grace is greater than your addiction. You may be tormented by evil spirits and and are under this blanket of oppression in your life, but I'm here to tell you God's grace is greater than any demonic spirit that may come against you. You may find yourself exhausted with trying to keep up with the world's wisdom and the world's system, but God's grace is greater than the spirit of the world. You know, when my youngest son Joshua was a toddler, the door to his room got jammed, and uh, the door was locked, and he's screaming in there. And so I want to get in where my kid is. And my dad was over, and his dad's trying to work out the lock in the door. And I just lost complete patience because all I can hear is my kid crying in there. And so I went to the garage and picked up the barbell and turned it into a jousting stick and came around the corner and said, Dad, out the way. And so uh, I'm coming through and we went through that door in Jesus' name to get to, I don't have time to fiddle with the lock. I'm getting in where my kid is. And so when you and I had the door of reconciliation with God locked and slammed shut in our face, grace opened up the door. Grace has made a way through for you and I where the world system, the wisdom of the world, your works, my works could not make a way. We're there with our efforts trying to fiddle with the lock and here comes grace like a barbell through a door. I'm coming through. I'm making a way through for you. You see, God's grace is sufficient for every weakness. God's grace is efficient in every deliverance. God's grace is proficient in every circumstance. And the only way to access great grace and more grace is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's why the Bible says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You see, Grace is divine unmerited favour. You can't do anything to earn it. Therefore, pride can't access it. Because pride prides itself on being able to do it according to the self. Whereas pride can't access grace. That's why God opposes it. In fact, He actively opposes pride. So just a heads up. There is enough resistance in life without being opposed by God, without being resisted by God. 
I'm, I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but I know this, that if I want to decrease the resistance that I'm facing that's going on in my life, choose humility every single day of the week because I am in desperate need of grace and so are you. Pharaoh thought he knew better and 10 plagues later, he had a change of mind. It's interesting that. And even then after he changed his mind, he persisted in pride and it eventually led to his demise. But when we humble ourselves, not only do we get access to much grace, but we get given the key to victory. What is the key to victory over sin, Satan, and the world? Verse seven answers. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The key to victory over sin, Satan, and the world begins with this. Submit to God. What's that? Surrender. Completely surrendering to the Lordship of Christ is the first and essential step to freedom. One of the reasons why many people do not get free of sin, satanic influence, and the spirit of the world is they refuse to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. I grew up in the church, pastor's kid, and uh, I had a relationship with God. But it all changed, it all transitioned and pivoted the moment I was wrestling with the Lordship of Jesus in my life about the call of God on my life and my future. It all shifted. And I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. It was a Lordship issue because many of us like the idea of Jesus as Saviour. Save us from our sins, save us from our problems. We'll relate to that Jesus. But we don't necessarily like the idea of following Jesus as Lord. Can I suggest to you today, Jesus Christ is one and the same thing. He's both Saviour and Lord, but you can't call yourself a follower of Jesus or profess Jesus is your Lord if it isn't the reality of your lifestyle. It doesn't mean that we're completely perfect in that. We're all on a journey. We're all growing. But the reality is Jesus didn't just die to save you from your sin and the, the penalty of that sin, which is eternal separation from God, and to save you from tribulations in this world, okay, and various sicknesses. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have tribulations, but take heart, over, overcome the world. Jesus is either Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. That's what Christianity is. That's what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. Jesus as Lord isn't just in one compartment of our lives. It's in all of our lives. A Hebrew understanding of faith in God is faith in God is at the center of my heart, the center of my life, and all of my life revolves around my faith in God. A Western understanding of faith is faith is a category of my life. It's compartmentalized to one aspect of my life. And so I can acknowledge Jesus here, but in the rest of my life, I'll live as my functional saviour 
I am the Lord of my life. I am the master of my own universe. And don't you dare tell me, Bible, church, pastor, preacher, what I should do with the rest of my life because I've got that all covered. Then Jesus isn't Lord. I love you too much not to tell you the truth. I love you too much not to tell you the truth. Because I've got to give an account for your soul. And I care about you and your relationship with God and your eternal future, not to tell you what the Bible says. You see, following Jesus, surrendering to God is like signing a blank contract and letting God fill in the details after you sign the bottom of the contract. And you're like, I want to know what I'm getting myself into. And God's like, no, follow me. Where are we going? I'll let you know. Sign the bottom of the contract and I'll fill in the details. It's called Romans 12.1, present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And here's the key. If Jesus has the totality of your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which houses your mind, your emotions, and the center of your will, He has you. That's why He says, present your body as a living sacrifice. If we willfully hold back an area of life for ourselves, we're gonna find it difficult to do the next step. What's the next step? Resist the devil. A lot of people are trying to resist the devil, but they haven't first submitted to God. Submit to God, resist the devil with a promise, he will flee from you. How did Jesus resist Satan in the wilderness? It is written. He did not say, ah, this is, I I, I feel really powerful today, so I'm going to resist you. I've been to the conference, I've been to the prayer meeting, I feel very powerful, I'm going to resist you today. No, the Bible says he was hungry, he was weak, he was vulnerable, everything in the flesh was not, you know, uh, compatible with feeling good, but he came back to, it is written. If it's good enough for Jesus, the Son of God, it's good enough for you and I. The only way to resist Satan is firstly, submission to God. Secondly, a truth encounter. Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Then it says, resist him, standing firm in your faith. How do you resist temptation? How do you resist the lust of the flesh? How do you resist satanic influence and oppression in your mind? How do you resist the spirit and the wisdom of the world? You've got to resist him through truth. If you and I don't know the truth of God's word, even a few verses, right? How will we resist him? It's only as you know the truth that the truth sets you free. We're having dinner with a, a, a lovely couple last night, not from this church that I'd never met before. And Simone's been getting discipleship and some spiritual direction from uh, the lady uh, of this couple. And they were telling me that 
got doctorates and PhDs in ministry and they were telling me that they've got people coming into Bible college at a master's level who don't know where the book of Acts is in the Bible. They don't know where certain basic fundamental Bible uh, concepts, ideas, or even books of the Bible are in the Bible at a really high level. And one of the things we're seeing in the modern church, in the modern age, is an increase and abundance of teaching resources about the Word of God, but an increase of biblical illiteracy than ever before. And so it's, it's, it's so important that we as a church are being equipped when it comes to understanding what does the Word of God say. Because if we do not know what the Word of God says, not you don't have to be a PhD student of the Word, but I'm talking about a disciple of the Word, a follower of Jesus is actively engaging with the Word. That's why we preach the Word the way we do. If we're not, how can we resist de the devil when he comes against us? We can't resist him if we don't know what the truth says. The armour of God in Ephesians 6 is both defensive and offensive. It's the sword of the Spirit. We defend and we counter-attack with the sword of the Spirit. And, and, and the Bible says, be it instantly or gradually, the enemy must flee. He has no choice in the matter. If you resist him with truth, it will counter whatever he's bringing against you and you've got the key to victory over Satan. People think Jesus won the victory over Satan on the cross. No, he won the victory over sin on the cross. He won the victory over Satan in the wilderness. He didn't need to die to defeat Satan. He just had to say it is written. So we submit to God, we resist the devil. Is this helping anyone today? Anyone had enough, want to go for latte? That's in about 10, 12 minutes, we'll get there. Resist the devil, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God. With a promise, he'll draw near to you. What's that about? That's about intimacy. Now, if praise is the highest occupation of the angelic host, there must be a valid reason for it. If all of the angelic hosts can do nothing but holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, there really must be a valid reason for it. Because the Bible says in Psalm 22, God inhabits the praises of His people. So when you and I praise and worship, we aren't having just got a weapon of warfare against the enemy but as we draw near to God in praise and worship and intimacy with God, we become conscious of His presence. Do you know the presence of God is supposed to be experienced? It's experiential. If you only relate to God through a cerebral understanding, a mind sort of mind experience of God in your mind, you understand it as thought but you don't experience Him in your life, you're missing fundamentally what relationship with Him is all about. And the modern church, because of a scientific and rational worldview, bangs on about how, you know, don't worry about emotions and don't worry about feelings and don't worry about all that. And I understand you can't live by your feelings, 
but God created you with feelings and He actually wants you spiritually, emotionally, physically to experience Him and to encounter Him. And so when we're in worship, that's why we don't mind being a little bit demonstrative at times about lifting our hands and lifting our voice and posturing ourselves on our knees or on the ground because when you get to have an encounter with the presence of God, it should move something inside of you. If you're the frozen chosen and you're just like nothing ever moves you, I question whether you're experiencing God. You say, well, that's not my personality. It's not a personality issue. It's a revelation issue. I know people who don't have an outgoing, extroverted, demonstrative personality. You get them talking about their passion. Hands start flying around. They lift their voice. Blood pressure goes up. They'll talk to you about stamp collecting. I'm not interested in stamp collecting, but they're all passionate about stamp collecting. And they're showing you all the different aspects of stamp collecting. And they get very physically overt in their actions. And yet we come into the house of God and it's the frozen chosen. Oh no, His presence is to be experienced. Lift your hands, all you people. Make a joyful noise under the Lord. Clap your hands, all you people. God gave you instruments. He gave you limbs in your body to use. And when you encounter Him and when you experience Him, it should provoke a response. Should provoke some sort of response in us. Because we just had an encounter with the Creator of heavens and earth. And even when I can't necessarily feel Him, that's not even the point either. I just want to tell Him how much I love Him. And then I find as I step into that place of drawing near to Him, I become conscious of His presence. He draws near to me. Submit to God. It's like a chain. If you don't do the first one, you can't do the second one. I submit to God. I resist the devil with truth. I draw near to God and he draws near to me and then I cleanse my hands. What's that? That's restitution. Cleansing your hands is where we take responsibility to rectify any injury made to another through the conflict. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Not that you have to them, but if they may have something against you. Generally, you say, well, that's their problem. That's their business. They can deal with it. If your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Go and reconcile. Rectify the issue. Right the wrong. Come back. Offer your gift at the altar. I remember when I first started in ministry, decades ago, the Holy Spirit put two key relationships on my heart where I felt unjustly treated and he said, I want you to go and restore it. I want you to go and rectify the wrong commitment. But, 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 no, don't let, get, let your butt get in the way of your breakthrough. I want you to rectify it, restore it because I knew I could not move forward in my calling and my ministry and expect fruit in this area whilst there is an area that is broken in a relationship. It's very challenging for all of us. I went back, I organised on the phone to meet up with these people, didn't talk about their issue, I talked about what I needed to take ownership of. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And one of them, 
didn't exactly like it. One of them continued to get stuck into me. Okay, I apologize. I'm sorry. I released that. Second person, the relationship was reconciled. But I was engaging in cleansing your hands. All you sinners, purify your hearts. I was righting the wrong that was committed so that I could walk in victory over sin, Satan, and the world. God has made a way through His grace for you to walk in victory over sin, over Satan, and the world. But it requires your active participation with great grace. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.